Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4237 of The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world, with me, Andy Zaltzman, coming to you from a hotel room in Manchester. And as we record, Britain is slowly recongealing after melting in record temperatures earlier this week. The mercury getting its funk well and truly on, topping 40 degrees Celsius for the first time since we started measuring these things on a scale more complicated than the simple old kill something and wear its pelt, brackets cold, uh, sit around in a hut thinking about flint, brackets medium, and build a henge, f***ing hot. Uh, so, <laughs> so, regrettably, following medical advice this week, I did have to postpone my experiment to see how many layers of ski clothing you can wear while still being able to break dance for four hours unbroken. Um, <laughs> But amazingly, and despite all the cynicism, our transport network was completely unaffected. Everything ground to a halt, just like on a normal day. So uh, we managed to muddle our way through. Joining me today from London, it's Alice Fraser. Hi, Alice. Hi, Andy. Uh, I did my back, so I had to have a hot water bottle tucked down the back of my undies and a sweaty (laughs) baby on my front. Truly a nightmare time. Uh, But I I have lots of tips if anyone wants them for dealing with the heat. And uh, joining us from a place where I believe it's never hot at all, uh, From uh, but it's currently quite wet, uh, from Mumbai, it's Aditi Mittal. Hi, Aditi. Uh, it is such an honour and pleasure um, to be on a Zoom call talking to people where I'm the one saying, actually, the weather's quite nice here. <laughs> um, it, it has never happened before. The smugness, I feel, honestly, um, will last me for the rest of this episode. Uh, it is... It is, uh, the weather's quite nice actually, we're in the middle of our monsoons. If anyone wants any tips on how to deal with heat, uh, get in touch with Alice. I know nothing about it. Uh, We are recording on the 22nd of July, 2022. It is National Sleep Awareness Week in America, apparently, and to mark the occasion, we're going to ask you buglers two simple questions. One, are you asleep? (laughs) And two... Are you still asleep? And Sunday, the 24th of July, is National Tell an Old Joke Day. Uh, And to mark it on this week's Bugle, we will be talking about the world's abject failure to come to terms with climate change and the Conservative Party imposing a new Prime Minister on the UK whilst using the nation as a plaything in its own internecine power games. (laughs) The old ones are always the most depressing. Uh, As always, a section of the Bugle is going straight in the bin. And this week, a special psychometric test. Could you be... Leader of the Conservative Party in the UK. Uh, well, I'm going to put to you various questions. Your answers will tell you if you have the right psychological makeup to be the Tory leader. Question one Who is your favourite tennis player? A. Roger Federer. B. Serena Williams. C. Fred Perry from the 1930s before the EU banned us all from playing <laughs> tennis. D. Whichever of Andy Murray or Emma Raducani you remember first. Or E. Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> Question two. You find an injured bird on the ground outside a school. What do you do? A. Call a local bird welfare charity and nurse the stricken creature until specialist help arrives. B. Swiftly break the bird's neck to end its suffering as humanely as possible. (laughs) C. Bite the bird's head off, then hurl its corpse into the school playground while saying, I won't give in to the woke lobby who say you shouldn't throw dead birds at children. (laughs) Or D. Promise the bird that you will cut its taxes and everything will be magically okay again before feeding the bird to a passing Russian billionaire's feral dog while saying, Hi, sir, guy, could you bang us another mill? We're out of branded stationery. Mm. And uh, question three. 
you see an interestingly shaped cloud. What does it make you think of? A, Margaret Thatcher. B, the Falklands War. <laughs> C, nothing, it's just a cloud. D, the class struggle. Or E, cricket. Question four, arrange the following into a priority list with the thing that is most important to you at the top. A, yourself. B, rich people who give money to the Conservative Party. C, rich people who might give money to the Conservative Party in future. D, beating the Labour Party. E, the Conservative Party. Or F, the United Kingdom. Uh, oh, sorry, that was already arranged in Conservative Party priority order. Uh, <laughs> my mistake. Ignore, ignore question four. That section in the bin. Top story this week. It's hot. The world is officially hot, and not in a, a saucy way. It's it's been really hot in lots of places. Climate change, love it or hate it, it's here to stay, and it's not responding to our threats that we are really definitely going to do something about it within the next three decades or so. In fact, this week, old Colonel Climate has been shitting on everyone's picnics yet again. Much of Europe including the former part of Europe, the UK, has been baked like an extremely varied selection of regional pastries by temperatures well over 40 degrees Celsius, sparking lethal wildfires, a health emergency, and in Britain, people complaining about the government warning people to be careful. <laughs> uh, around 100 million people in America are living under heat alert. The whole of Oklahoma tops 103 degrees Fahrenheit uh, on Tuesday. Meteorologists have warned people to look out for symptoms including headaches, dizziness, nausea, vomiting, and fatigue, which could be signs of heat-induced illness or of having watched one of the Conservative Party leadership debates, uh, we don't know. I mean, how, how do you both see the current state of the world in terms of uh, heroic progress towards self-inflicted Armageddon? But I'm fascinated by this uh, Biden announcement where he's announced 2.3 billion American dollars worth of uh, infrastructure help, building infrastructure help, let's be specific. Uh, also, 2.3 billion American dollars is 1.9 billion British pounds, uh, but I'm not sure if it's the, the difference between the dollar and the pound or the difference between British billions and American billions. I think we've all agreed on American <laughs> billions mainly because they have more of them. But anyway, building infrastructure to withstand extreme weather is simultaneously like obviously a clever move for a country wallowing in deeply decrepit public systems and a weird fear of paying taxes that might ever help anyone else. <laughs> You know, oh, no, what if we pave this road that's made out of lava and spikes and then one day a pedophile drives down it? I don't want a pedo <laughs> driving down my hard-earned tax dollars. I don't know. To be, to be fair, I would be pissed if I were to be paying tax in America as well. It's sort of a chicken and the egg situation. People very reasonably are like, why would I pay my taxes to a country that's never done anything nice for me when I'm already $100,000 in debt for my college degree in Excel spreadsheet management? It's like a chicken and egg situation, uh, but both the chicken and the egg are trying to kill each other. Returning to the point, <laughs> Joe Biden stopped short of formally declaring a climate emergency, though he did say it was a climate emergency, but he didn't declare it a climate emergency. He just oh. said it was a climate emergency because if he declared that it was a climate emergency, it would grant him more power to deal with the climate emergency. And the last thing he wants is the capacity to enact real change. I mean, Biden did not want to declare it a climate emergency, um, which is okay, but does the climate know? Uh, because at this point, at this point, you cannot gaslight the climate into thinking that it's not an emergency because both gas and light are, you know, gifts given to us by the environment. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a little bit worrying uh, that, uh, you know, he doesn't, he, he's, he doesn't want to declare it a climate emergency. And I just want to say I resent the bugle for multiple reasons. But <laughs> the one that I do the most is that this is probably the third time 
that I have had to look up Joe Manchin, um, <laughs> which who is uh, some dude who apparently you know in uh, in the states he owns a bunch of coal plants, coal mines. Uh, Coal okay. and, All uh, plants he... are coal plants if you leave them for long enough under <laughs> enough pressure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, is he an environmentalist, really, if you think about it? <laughs> he, uh, you know, and so he owns a bunch of coal uh, things. And uh, he is sort of one of the major reasons why the, de- uh, the Democrats and the Republicans are having a problem coming to any sort of combined consensus on what they want to do about the climate. And... Um, Here's my thing, like he will probably be on Mars by the time the planet explodes. Um, I think that, you know, I, I, I do think they say that, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's better to know when to arrive somewhere, but it's even better to know when to leave. Uh, and I think that at this point, humanity should just pack up. I think that instead of these petty arguments with each other, you know, getting offended when someone gives you heat tips, f*** it, um, you know. Because you are the crab in the pot of boiling water, I say you just take in a margarita and enjoy the end of the world while Joe Manchin flies off uh, to Mars. So, uh, fundamentally, it seems that America, which, you know, is what is one of the more important nations when it comes to dealing with climate change in terms of uh, both the vast scale of its emissions and the influence it has around the world, is kind of, is kind of stuck. But the greater problem, surely... Um, Alice Aditi, is one of the great failings of Charles Darwin when he invented evolution to try and move our species on a bit in the 19th century was not including (laughs) a facility to enable us to adapt to increasing temperatures. I mean, it was easy for him because he could just shave off his beard or take off his extremely 19th century hat and the eight layers of clothing that were de rigueur at the time in case anyone even contemplated the existence of human flesh and made God very cross indeed. He was particularly irascible in the 1800s, God. So we're stuck. We're stuck with the, 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 the these bodies that just aren't aren't really adapted to live in you know, what will presumably soon be 80-degree heat. I mean, Alice, in, in you know, you've uh, lived in Australia uh, for most of your life, um, and it's quite hot there. Uh, I've been reliably informed by myself, remembering myself melting in the streets of Adelaide a few months ago. Um, any tips for the world for, from from there? Okay, I will tell you. I will tell you first how I have dealt with it, and then I'll give you some tips uh, from our sister podcast, The Gargle. Uh, First of all, I misted my baby with a spray bottle like the perfect fat little succulent that she is. I drank a metric (laughs) ton of bubble tea. I cursed the architecture of the British, which seems to be mainly geared towards feeling slightly cramped and reassuringly trapped like you're inside the hull of a ship. And I fielded a dozen smug, weird jokes about like, well, aren't you Australian? Surely 40 degrees is fine for you. And you know what? No, 40 degrees is fine, maybe, when you're inside a building with even a fragment of ventilation or proper insulation or air conditioning or high ceilings or shade. It is not fine when you're living in a literal pizza oven. 40 degrees is fine when you can go sit in the shade or near a beach where people will be using, you know, responsible levels of sun protection, not ripping the shells off their fluorescently pale underbellies and charging directly into the heart of the sun at midday. <laughs> I was reading an article in, uh, in, on, in The Guardian about Britain's total, not just failure, but refusal to build buildings that even contemplate the concept of temperature. So how would you say, <laughs> uh, you know, our housing stock is generally... Rooms that are pretty small and pokey, often damp, that are 
unbelievably cold in the winter and unbelievably hot in the summer, yeah. despite the fact that neither our winters nor our summers are particularly cold or hot, respectively, <laughs> on a global scale. It's almost, it's almost like to say, you know, we, we will just act, design life. Maybe it's so that we can understand what it's like in other parts of the world where you do have these extreme temperatures more often. <laughs> Maybe it was part of our training for when we uh, took temporary charge of some of these places that uh, you know we're, we're, we're used to to living in these uh, in these strange climes through yeah. having inflicted them on ourselves through shit planning. The the number one solution to uh, you know dealing with uh, hot uh, weather is to be rich. Uh, you just <laughs> go into a place. For so many you're welcome. Things. You're welcome. You know, honestly, just get into uh, an air-conditioned room. And again, like, I mean, I, I was talking about the smugness, uh, you know, from the time that I said hello, and that is carrying on right now. <laughs> because it's so cute when you're like, oh my God, there's a heat wave. It's 27 degrees. I was like, that's the temperature our air conditioners are set at. <laughs> uh, speaking of tips. Yes, what are your what are your your heat tips for buglers? Here are my heat tips uh, brought to you by regular gargle sponsor, half a glass of water. Uh, <laughs> give a half a glass of water to a limp stranger. Make ice, put it in your bum crack, dip your bits into it. Use it to inflate one of those squinched up novelty sponge toys and then put it on your head like a little hat. Saturate a cloth and place it in front of a fan to blow wet air through the room. Use it to sabotage the computers of the largest oil companies in the world. Not immediately effective, but long term it's good. Uh, dress as a waiter, put poison in it and give it to someone at the beginning of a murder mystery to start yourself sweating. Uh, or fire it into space so one day an indentured servant working on Elon Musk Musk's Mars mining satellite will have enough to trade for his freedom. And those are your half a glass of water tips for dealing with a heat wave. So, I mean, so you can yeah, understand perhaps Britain not legislating for the fact that we'd, we'd have temperatures of 40 degrees Celsius. Um, but also, let's not forget, we have a great national tradition of doing our infrastructurals to absolute bare minimum standards. Exhibit one, Stonehenge, which is a very bad precedent <laughs> for today's railways and buildings and other things that have been struggling in the heat this week. So, you know, they put it up. And people said, are you sure that's that's done? And uh, you know, the, the builder said, oh, I don't give a shit if it only works once a year. It doesn't have a roof and it gets in the way of the A303. It's up, isn't it? We have got it done, the British way. Even a broken hinge is right once a year, Andy. India news now, and, uh, well, more excitement in the uh, the world of um, Indian press freedom, or, or lack of it, uh, Aditi, uh, this week. Perhaps you can bring us up to date. <laughs> Uh, I am so absolutely thrilled uh, to be one of the last voices that has not been in jail yet for <laughs> for uh, speaking my mind. You know, they say that truth is the first casualty to war, but that sentence was written after everyone who told the truth was either murdered or jailed. Um, because uh, about 21 days ago, we had Muhammad Zubair, one of the co-founders of the news portal Alt News, which has been fact-checking Indian news. Um who was arrested uh, for under completely spurious charges. He was taken into custody for a tweet where he posted a clip of a Hindi movie from 1973. Uh, the report that was filed against him for uh, hurting Hindu sentiments was filed by an anonymous Twitter account that tweeted that one tweet about being offended and now does not exist. Um, <laughs> to... To argue the semantics of his tweet, um, you know, like it was like this, it was like that, is pointless because it does not matter. Uh, is, you know, is it, is it calling out the government uh, and is the person's name Muslim or even Muslim sounding? 
um you know like i for example as aditi mittal have been referred to as adil mohammed uh whenever i tweet anything against the government <laughs> irrespective of my gender and mohammed zubair is lucky he has been released because he is a high profile critic of the government uh, which means that the only way to criticize the government right now is loudly uh, so if anyone has any problems go for it uh, in the meantime uh, in the meantime we have and i would like to mention their names umar khalid who's been in jail for 671 days siddiq kapan 635 days uh, asif sultan 1427 days fahad shah 168 days khalid safi 743 days gulfisha fatima 832 days sharjeel isman uh, 93 931 days and sajad gul for 191 days um and uh, you know the international press covered zubair's case uh extensively because it was concerned about the chilling effect it ma- might have on press freedom and let me reassure you at this point while europe goes through a heat wave we are frozen uh it has chilled us uh enough uh, that uh, we are now just uh, every time that the government that the supreme court does something that's normal we celebrate <laughs> So yeah, as you say, he's the founder of this fact-checking website, Alt News. And I mean, there's no type of website politicians like less than a fact-checking website because life would be so much simpler for them if uh, what they said were facts were simply accepted as facts, like in like in the good old old days. And yeah, you know, I mean, press freedom comes in 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 many forms. I mean, here in Britain, our take on press freedom is the pr- freedom for our press not to hold the government to account if it doesn't want to uh, and the freedom to lie propagandize and share pictures of famous women walking out of a place whilst wearing a thing whilst also <laughs> being entirely free from responsibility or consequence for what they publish so there's uh, just different ways of looking at the concept of press freedom really and look i just think that we're all missing the reality of the situation which is that the the principle of the importance of press freedom was established at a time when mostly only rich people could read so <laughs> Let's be realistic here about what they were agreeing to when they agreed to this whole idea in the first place. <laughs> uh, also, um, Sonia Gandhi, the president of the Opposition Congress Party, is under investigation by the Enforcement Directorate, which sounds like something from a, uh, a film, uh, but isn't, mm-hmm. um, over a, a decade-old and unproven allegation of money laundering. Opposition party leaders have issued a joint statement condemning the investigation and said that Modi's government had, quote, unleashed a relentless campaign against its opponents and critics through the mischievous misuse of investigative agencies. Mischievous. Now, amongst our many and varied legacies to India, Aditi, uh, it is a source of great delight and pride here in Britain to see that classic British understatement and euphemism is still going very, very strong indeed. Um, In other exciting news um, in India, um, India will soon, once again, be home to wild cheetahs. The self-proclaimed fastest land mammals on Earth are imminently to arrive in India uh, and the Kuno uh, National Park. Now, amongst all the things on India's shopping list as a nation, Aditi, maybe a bit a bit more space, a bit less honking of horns every now and again, maybe, a bit less of a despotic government, a medical cure for corruption, a few more Olympic gold medals uh, and a magic spell to resurrect Virat Kohli's batting. Uh, you might not have thought someone would be thinking, we need more carnivorous big cats that can run at 70 miles an hour. But that is what India... Is getting you must be you must be very excited. 
I am absolutely thrilled because I mean this coincides with India's 75th year as an independent nation we uh, sort of murdered all the local cheetahs and uh, <laughs> now we sort of <laughs> but in 1952 we were kind of done with them and then <laughs> now we uh, indians are known for many things you know our our diversity our um, love for spices and of course our inherent inbuilt racism <laughs> so one of the things that i am very excited about is to see how these namibian cheetahs will be treated by the local cheetah population uh will there be uh inter cheetah racism I think that's something that we have to watch out for uh, at this point. And as I said, this is a gift on India's 75th independent uh year and I mean this is like giving a cat to your grandparents and uh, <laughs> and, and and hoping that they're going to take care of it. So um I think we are very excited and we've seen that introducing an apex predator into an environment uh where it has not been for several decades where the ecosystem has possibly adjusted itself in order to uh, accommodate other predators has never ended badly <laughs> it has never ended badly we've all seen the jurassic park movies <laughs> and those are just feel good family films where everything goes well so um a deal has been struck to sign these cheetahs from namibia uh a big money big money deal I assume agents were involved uh Namibia home to one of the world's largest cheetah population but there are just 7000 of the spotty speedsters left in the world making them only slightly less populous than conservative party members uh whilst also having evolved about as much in the last 10000 years and um, <laughs> Um Bhupendra Yadav the environment minister for India <laughs> heralded the return of cheetahs with these words completing 75 glorious years of independence with restoring the fastest terrestrial flagship species the cheetah in <laughs> India will rekindle the ecological dynamics of the landscape um, whereas what expert... is a flagship what is a flagship animal I <laughs> I mean a flagship shop is where they put a shop in somewhere that it's too expensive it doesn't make any money but it looks good. Uh so I think that that they're suggesting no! cheetah is a... I just I just got that. I just got that. See even you know and that's what self awareness. 5 points for self awareness to our environment minister. It's like you know what they're not dying enough and fast fast enough in Namibia. Come over. We'll kill you here. Um experts uh, said that the the national park is quote not the best cheetah landscape. Uh, at a piddling 1400 square kilometers as cheetahs not only like to eat carpaccio as often as possible but also to have a solid 3000 square kilometers to prance around in in their knockoff leopard skin play suits so um but then you know you know there's, there's not enough space around the world you know, the world doesn't have the space it used to so maybe it's uh, old stevie spotty legs who needs to change Britain's new prime minister news now and well the shortlist shit fest to impose a new prime minister on the UK is down to the final two and the Tories have whittled down uh, their uh, their 
not entirely impressive list of candidates, to uh, Liz Truss, the Foreign Secretary, a substandard bearer for those who parade their inadequacies proudly, a shape-shifting former Liberal Democrat, former <laughs> Remain supporter, now a Brexitatious Thatcher Tribute Act, and Rishi Sunak, ch- uh, former Chancellor of the Exchequer, former hedge fund casinoist with a penchant for nauseating videos of himself, uh, the uh, former Chancellor of the Exchequer who presided over some of the most spectacularly wasteful spending in British government history. Um, and uh, amidst uh, a bumbling, growth-resistant economy, he exuded as much empathy for the less fortunate as Boris Johnson exudes respect for the Ten Commandments. So that's what we've got. That Those are the two choices. Um, as um, neutral external observers, what, what, what do you make of uh, the, the fact that one of these two will, will soon be in charge in Britain? I mean, I think it's wonderful. I think that that it's such a represent, like such a win for representation. Representation matters, Andy. And the fact that uh, you know the Tory leadership is now absolutely certain to be held by either a woman or a man of colour, depending on who vomits on themselves first. Like, <laughs> I think it's a really beautiful thing that the Tories are willing to be in the front lines of the culture war about who's allowed to have a, but they're pretty equal opportunity about who's allowed to be a, and. You know, the thing about minorities in, like, oppressive institutions that generally discriminate against them is that you have to be better. Like, you have to be better. If you're a female comedian, you have to be better than your colleagues. You have to be... And if you're a female Tory, you've got to be... I mean, you've got to be Thatcher. Like, you've got to be worse than everyone else at the politics side of things. Uh, so I think it's a, a really exciting time for the Tories. <laughs> you know, I uh, I may... This is, might be a controversial opinion, but... Um, and, and Indian men are going to hate me more than they already do for this. But is Rishi Sunak a bit of a gold digger? Like, he he just married into wealth, this guy. And, like, if you look at him, in fact, you know, I, I Rishi Sunak's face, uh, which is like this, you know, it looks like a like a late-season mango. Uh, it's, it's, like, unrealistically long. Um, the, the space sort of between his eyes and his lips is, like, two small early season mangoes. That's how long his face is. <laughs> and he um, and he looks like the classic prototype Punjabi guy who sort of like marries up uh, and then keeps failing up. Um, <laughs> in and, and that's why, that's why, you know, Alice made that point about representation because it's so important because in India, someone like Rishi Sunak would probably at max in life make it to like middle management, like suck in like Ambani's or Ardani's dick, right? (laughs) But, you know, in the UK, he's, you know, out there, he is almost like sort of like at the topmost level and all he has to do is suck a couple of Conservative Party members' dicks. (laughs) Trust is uh, an interesting one too. She was a, a Liberal Democrat member uh, when younger. She made a speech at the Liberal Democrat conference, I think, when she was still a teenager. Um, uh, but as now, yeah, she hasn't sort of learned spun... to make speeches any better. <laughs> no, no, she is uh, almost every time she speaks in public, it could be used as an sort of object lesson in anti-oratory. Um, in, <laughs> you could just show it to children. And say, this is how not to communicate. Chess news now, and chess, a game that has fascinated humanity for, what is it now, coming on to a thousand years, is boring. Uh, Don't take it from me, take it from (laughs) Magnus Carlsen, one of the foremost geniuses of the 64 square strategesium that is the game of chess. He's announced that he, quotes, cannot be asked to defend his world championship title next year. Not his words out loud, uh, but certainly what, what he really meant when he said that he had no inclination to play, he had been scheduled to uh, uh, for a, a showdown in 2023 with the Russian Grandmaster 
Jan Nepomniachi, um, who's going to have to chest the shit out of it against someone else instead. Um, and it, we just, it just, that's it. He's, 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 he's got no inclination to play. So, I mean, what, what does this tell us about the, the state of humanity now that you know one of the, the greatest chess players ever can't be asked to play chess? Well, first of all, Andy, he's not, it's not all of chess that he's giving up. It's just these world championship bouts, which are apparently extremely gruelling and unpleasant. And he's still going to play chess for fun. He's not just woken up one day and gone, I've forgotten which one of the horse is. <laughs> I, he's, he's decided that he's, you know, he's going out on top. He's like, no, I think this is a wonderful thing. I think normalize quitting shit you don't enjoy. You don't have to keep doing things just because you happen to be the best in the world at them, Andy. Maybe oh. you could stop doing puns one day. Oh, right. Um, yeah. I never, never thought of it like that, actually. No. Yeah, but it's a, yeah. it's, a, it's a curse as much as a gift. I think it's a great thing. I think leave room for the young'uns to come up, you know, and, and to keep doing the chessing that they, that they love so much, <laughs> um, which I, you know, let, 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 I think you need room for the, for the game to evolve and become more interesting. Apparently uh, the institution is taking the note and they've decided they're not going to make these world championship matches so gruelling after all. They're just going to make them, you know, psychologically stressful by having your mum <laughs> whisper in your ear about how disappointed she is about the move you made. Um <laughs> No longer going to last days and days and days. They're going to do it on a timer, and if you go too long, they'll put an electric shock up you. Um, <laughs> they've, so... they've tried that in cricket. It doesn't work. This doesn't work. <laughs> and they're going to they're going to sub out one of the games, uh, one of the five games, uh, just for a straight up match of thumb wars. So I think all <laughs> of this is a, an exciting future for the game of chess, and I, for one, look forward to paying too much money to watch it. <laughs> well, the um, uh, Carlson, of course, is best known for things like moving pawns, um, saying, no, God boy, you can't go that way, my friend. It's dag- diagonals or nothing. And also <laughs> for not having any friends from Prague just because he can't face everyone making the same pun about it. Um, and uh, there's, <laughs> there's also talk that uh, the Norwegian Chess Federation was rebuffed in its efforts to allow Carlson to have a single Viking berserker pawn that could charge out six squares in the first move of the game and take out three enemy pieces. Um <laughs> But, I, I mean, just think it's you know I just think we should be clear that the king of chess is only taking one step away from the game. Not. <laughs> I am so excited because I you know I um, I I don't play chess um, uh, and neither do I possess the intellect of someone who understands it. And uh, uh, I'll be honest, before this story, I thought Magnus Carlsen was a type of beer, but uh, <laughs> but I am. It sounds like the name of like a, a like a four point five percent alcohol level beer. I you know I, at this point I am just thrilled because I finally have something in common with a chess grandmaster, <laughs> and that is that I don't want to do shit. I just <laughs> could not be asked. And uh, I mean like yeah, the guy's like oh the last match that apparently they played this championship was an eight hour match. <laughs> I'm like, what is the point of following your passion if you're going to end up doing a nine to five anyway? Uh, so I support uh, the decision by Magnus Carlsen. Um, uh, and I, I do believe uh, Alice is very right in her analysis. Uh, exciting times for chess in, in India, uh, Aditi. The 44th Chess Olympiad is uh, coming to India, to uh, Mamalapuram, south of the coastal metropolis of Chennai, um, next week. But there have been complaints about the price of... Tickets, um, tickets to watch live, have been priced at um, three thousand rupees, which is around thirty pounds or almost forty dollars, forty US dollars for Indian men, eight thousand rupees for foreigners, that's about a hundred US dollars, but only three hundred rupees for women. 
how come women around the world get all the breaks? I mean, this is hugely unfair, isn't it? Yes, I agree with you. I agree with you, especially with the glut of women in chess. <laughs> uh, you know, we should we should definitely be pricing it up. In fact, uh, you know, I, I was I was my attitude towards this was going to be more like, yeah, f it, pay the money if you have to go. Like if you, well, how how much are you gonna see live anyway? It the whole board is about this big, okay? It's the size of my torso, and then you're gonna sit in a giant friggin' room and look at, you know what? Go home, watch the streaming uh, of the thing, okay? No chess player wants you to be like, yeah, go for it. Like they don't even need that kind of harassment in the middle of a match. But it does seem quite a lot to watch a sport, which as you say, is not entirely renowned for its high octane, eye boggling, thriller minute, physical explosivity that. You know, it doesn't translate through the TV screen, so you've got to see it live or for the epic scale of its movements or for an elegance that needs to be seen in that crucial extra third dimension than it, rather than in a mere two or the strategic nuance that you can only pick up if you see it live. Oh, the cameras were focused on the D4 to F6 part of the board. I have absolutely no idea Black Queen was unmarked out wide and about to take the absolute <laughs> hell out of White Bishop before checking the holy mate out of Kingy. Um... But I'm intrigued by this idea of a chess Olympiad, which I assume is like a regular Olympics, but more chess-influenced and perhaps involves someone lobbing a chess board off a 10-metre diving board into a pool or <laughs> playing chess whilst riding a horse strangely or kayaking down some pretend rapids. Or maybe you'll get to see a giant Latvian hurling an actual bishop 70 metres. So we, we just, uh, we just, but maybe there'll be the addition of a new skateboarder piece instead of the old boring ones to attract a younger audience. But... Um, Anyway, I, I mean, also. look, Andy, we, we are all skating over the real fact of the matter. <laughs> we're, all, we're all avoiding the reality of this situation, which is the only thing you get from attending a chess tournament live that you do not get from watching a test, chess tournament you know, on streaming or, or television or with binoculars, is <laughs> the smell. That, that you're there for the smell of a thousand men sweating about chess. And that... <laughs> is something that you cannot replicate, though scientists have tried. <laughs> In other sport news, although chess is obviously not a sport, um, uh, a new <laughs> Olympic champion uh, for... Don't say that. Someone in chess might <laughs> move a piece at it's you. It's not a sport. It doesn't make it any less good. It's an amazing game, but it's not a sport, um, other than for funding reasons. Um, uh, new American <laughs> champion... Uh, in the Olympic decathlon. Uh, now, you might think, well, this is not an Olympic year. Well, I'm not talking about this year's Olympics. We're talking about the 1912 Olympics, and Jim Thorpe, one of the greatest uh, athletes of all time, has been reinstated as the sole winner of the 1912 Olympic decathlon and pentathlon by the International uh, Olympic uh, Community. He was originally stripped of his gold medals in 1913 for breaching the strict rules on amateurism by having played semi-professional baseball before he won his Olympic golds in athletics. Now, sport was a bit silly in those days. It's also a bit silly now, but in, in different ways. He was uh, reinstated as joint gold medalist in 1983, not because the IOC decided it was flagrantly ridiculous or due to suspicions that racism was involved due to Thorpe's Native American background. They reinstated his medals because it turned out they hadn't applied their stupid rules correctly and had not stripped <laughs> him of his medals quickly enough. Technically, in 1912, there was a 30-day limit for stripping people of medals for entirely 
spurious reasons, but the story only emerged several months after the uh, uh, Stockholm Games when articles appeared in the US papers uh, revealing that he'd played baseball for not very much money at all. Still, uh, better late than never, they re- uh, reinstated his gold medals in 83, although by that time thought was indeed late, uh, as in dead. Um, so... Uh, it's a bizarre story, this, but they've they finally now said he is the sole gold medal winner. Um, uh, take that, Hugo Wieslander of Sweden, you dead silver medal winning loser. Um, uh, and he did win by nearly 700 points, which is a pretty big margin in the decathlon. So it's probably fair to say uh, he was uh, he was a fair winner. So um, <laughs> you know, we have to we have to reassess the Olympic medal tables now. It's, uh, it's wonderful news. I mean, I'm only going to accept this result if they then apply the better late than never rule to all of the sports that they put up uh, and completely um, disintegrate the concept of winning. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, this is sort of like in, like a lot. This is a lot for like something that happened a lot, like a long time. I mean, was there the need? You could have done it, but like, was there the need to put this out? I just, like, I, I'm like, you look like an idiot as a whatever, as a committee of people. And so... Was there the need to tell others? Like you could have been like, you know what? Let's fix this. Let's like, you know, the guy should get it. But the fact that they put it out there is like asking for it. Yes, I mean, you do seem to be suggesting, Aditi, that people who spend a lot of their lives obsessing over sport that happened way, way, way before they were born are in some way wasting their existence. And I take that as a personal, <laughs> personal offence. Uh, Thorpe is one of the most extraordinary figures in sporting history, as well as his Olympic triumphs. He uh, then played and coached American football in the early years of the NFL and was inducted into the Professional Football Hall of Fame. He played Major League Baseball for several years, a bit of professional basketball, and was US intercollegiate ballroom dancing champion. Uh, And he won the Olympic decathlon in 1912, which was his only ever decathlon, wearing a shoe that he'd found in a bin, according to Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) It was a... Um, extraordinary. Um, I mean, it was a bit harsh to disqualify him for getting a small amount of money for playing an entirely different sport, especially when one of the men he beat in 1912, Avery Brundage, was subsequently not disqualified from being head of the IOC for 20 years from 1952 to 1972, despite being a full-on racist and anti-Semite. But uh, such is uh, such is sport. <laughs> Well, that brings us to the end of this week's uh, Bugle. Um, a pleasure, as always, having you both on. Do you have any things to plug? Alice, you are going to be in Edinburgh very soon. Yes, I'm going to be in Edinburgh. I will be doing my show Kronos at 9.15 at the Gilded Balloon every night, except the 15th. So come along and say hello. Also, if you are in Edinburgh and happen to have a five-string banjo you could lend me for a month, that would be super good. <laughs> uh, because I've, I've, I've tipped over the, the luggage limit with the baby and it was ba- baby or banjo. Apparently you can't just borrow a baby for a month when you go to Edinburgh. So I'm hoping someone will be kind enough to lend it to me. The other um, Bugle co-hosts also performing in Edinburgh. Uh, Tiff Stevenson is doing a show. James Nakise is doing a show. Um... I don't know if Mark Steele is doing a show this year, but anyway, do uh, support all the uh, uh, the Bugle co-hosts who are performing in Edinburgh uh, this year if you happen to be there, uh, Buglers. Aditi, do you have anything to tell our listeners about? Uh, you know, enjoy the end of the world, uh, but while you're at it, uh, I am going to be performing in Amsterdam on 13th of August, in Paris on the 20th of August, and in Berlin on the 28th of August, and then in Hel- Helsinki on the... 5th of September and uh, if you are in any of those areas, run because uh, 
Amana be taken over. No, please come. <laughs> I, I have a preview. If you're not coming to Edinburgh, I have a preview of Kronos on the Monday, uh, which is the Monday after today, the coming Monday, the 25th <laughs> of uh, this month. And uh, you can come and see that or also just follow me on Twitter at Alliterative. And also I have a podcast called The Gargle, which is the glossy magazine to this Bugle newspaper. Um, there are Bugle 15th anniversary <laughs> live shows coming up uh, later uh, this year in uh, Birmingham, Dublin, Glasgow and London. Details on the internet and if I have time to sort my website out on that specific part of the internet soon along with some more satirists for higher dates in November. Uh, now, to play you out, this week we will launch the Bugle Wall of Fame uh, with the names of our premium level voluntary subscribers and their great contributions to the history of civilization. To join the Bugle Voluntary Subscription Scheme, to give a one-off or recurring contribution, go to buglepodcast.com and click the donate button. Tuka Lehoyavi designed the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Baptiste Mispelon is the painter who inspired Caravaggio himself. Nick Kane is a two-time world table tennis champion, whilst Darren Warner discovered Antarctica. Chris Llewellyn is the real author of most of Walt Whitman's poetry, and Dave Modisette invented the hairdryer. Tim Wilkinson is the world record holder for the 231-metre hop, uh, whilst Adam Smout taught the Queen to wave. Parthenon architect Rob Weir uh, influenced the entire history of uh, European architecture, and Jesse Weir was the first to accurately map the coastline of Manhattan Island. Thanks to all of those, entrance onto the Bugle, voluntary subscribers, Wall of Fame. Hi, it's producer Chris from the Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.